And Lord, we ask tonight, you just open your word to us and reveal to us, Lord, what your spirit is saying to the church. Cause us to hear and to grow and to know and experience. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we had saw that we're not to think any differently of ourselves than is truly accurate. And so it would be wrong to say, oh, you know, I'm no good, when you're really good. And it would be wrong to say, oh, I'm the best, when you're really good. Whatever you are, you know, again, we, won't, we don't want to be high-minded. We want to be sober-minded. And it, it's wrong, you know, for like Moses to say, oh, you know, I can't do it. I'm just a shepherd. You know, send, send somebody else. Send my brother Aaron, but I just can't do it. That's not right. And on the other hand, it's, it's not right either to say, man, I'm, I'm your man. You should pick me, you know, and have this, this prideful attitude. Either way is not healthy. But God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. So every single one of us are a pivotal member. The reality is, is you have a gifting. You are a certain type of person that nobody else can be. That's important to realize. You're not just, oh, a part. If you're here, great. If not, you're great. Either way, it doesn't really matter. That's not the reality. We learn in Ephesians 4 that every ligament, every joint has an important part. And as we work together, building one another up in love, you see, every joint doing its part. How essential it is. I am really pointed out when we've moved that tent out there a few times. So when moved it this last week. Um, but normally when we moved it, we have one guy on every pole. And it's actually quite light. Now, one guy by himself trying to pick it up, it's impossible. But with ten guys and everybody on a pole, and then we have to communicate. We have to say, okay, we're walking this way or walking that way. And if you go too far, it'll bend the upper part and then sag, and then all of a sudden somebody's got a ton of weight on one corner. But when every part does its share, does its part, lifts and moves in sync, it's accomplished. In the same way, every one of us, as we learned in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, as we're walking in the Spirit, as we're giving our bodies as a living, holy sacrifice, as our minds are being transformed, you see, not conformed to this world, but transformed, and we're experiencing that perfect will of God, as we're all walking in the Spirit, it's incredible, it's amazing how we cause the growth in one another. Words that are, could be said and are said. Deeds that could be done and are indeed done. When we're walking in the Spirit, it's just phenomenal. And as we come together as a body, it's incredible how God causes the growth of the body. And we often wonder, gee, all I did was usher. All I did was teach a Sunday school class. All I did was just said to somebody, hey, what's going on? And they talked to me a minute and I prayed for them. All it was I gave was just a few bucks. All I was able to do is stay for a short... But you see, everybody doing what God is showing them to do. It's incredible how God causes the growth. And so there's many members in one body. But all the members do not have the same function. So there's many members, but very much a different function. The same spirit, but a different manifestation. So, 
we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of it. Having then gifts differing according to the grace or the gift that is given to us, so let us use them. And so this is the first time that the word gifts here are charismata, charismatic, is actually used. And you say, well, what about over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Actually, the word spiritual gifts is not there. It's just the word spirituals. This is the only time in the Bible it's actually used. In Ephesians 4, it says God's given to the church various ministers, pastors and teachers and prophets and evangelists. But here we actually see there are the spiritual gifts or the charismata that God gives to each and every one of us. And they are differing. And we got to remember that. That they are supposed to be differing. Now what's that mean to be different? It means it takes us out of our comfortable zone. Have you ever noticed when you really grow, it's usually when you've been through a very difficult time, a very uncomfortable time. That's why, again, God gives us the parents that he gives us often stretches us in ways we don't like to be stretched. We often get bosses that think very different from us, and we're just going, this is dumb. Why don't you just do it this way, you see? And the boss says, look, I heard you, I listened to you, now shut up and do what I said. And, and it's just so hard for us to follow through. Very, very different. And so it's okay, those differing situations. Now, in the body of Christ, it's no different because it's supposed to be different. Here, it is supposed to be different. We have the same body, one body, but very much different giftings going on. So in one person, we see that there's the gift of prophecy. Now it says, let us prophesy in the portion of his faith. So uh, the most strictest interpretation of prophecy is indeed telling the future. God speaking to him concerning the future. Now that gift also can mean not just the future telling, but also it can mean forth telling, proclaiming with a boldness the very truth that we do know. So I could say if our nation doesn't turn from its sin, then it's going to be judged. Now I didn't hear some direct revelation from God on this. I just read the Bible and that's what it said. But yet when I say it, I say it with boldness. Where did that come from? It's just the Spirit of God giving that gifting just to proclaim it with boldness, this is what's going to happen if we don't change. Or this will happen if we do this. If we begin to pray, God will pour out His Spirit and there will be a move of God, you see. And so there's a proclaiming, a boldness in it. Or it could be telling the future, like Agabus. We see there in Acts chapter 11 where he said there's going to be a famine and we need to start gathering money together and send it to the poor people in Jerusalem. And that's exactly what they did. Now, usually a prophets were all killed all the way through the Bible. And in the New Testament, they're not too appreciated either. As you remember, Paul there in Philippians said, they preach to do me harm. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, all in Asia have forsaken me. Even Onophorus, who once sought me out very diligently to come all the way to Rome to minister me, now... He doesn't even exist that he's my friend. He he won't even talk to me. Oh, may God not hold it against him on that day. Paul says, when I stood before Nero there in in Rome, 
Nobody stood with me. I was all by myself. So again, prophets today often are still rather brash people. They're usually very dogmatic people. And they have that gifting that basically is just very cut and dry, very black and white, very just sort of unnerving that they've got to get their point across. And so they're sort of extreme people. They have this one drum they hit, and that's all they hit is that one drum. And they don't care about anybody or anything. They just need to get that one point across. And that's okay. We accept that. We say, well, it's not completely balanced. That's not their ministry. Their ministry is not to be a pastor to try to cause the sheep to grow. Their job is to try to get the sheep excited and to say, hey, we need to wake up here. And so some get sort of woken up by the loudness of it. Some sort of get woken up by the irritation of it. Some sort of get woken up by saying, no, you're wrong, and I'll try to prove it. And they try to prove it to them, and they find out that the guy was right. And so somebody comes along. You know, I have a buddy who's, who's basically saying, we're not ministering to the deaf. And I guess those who are the only one group in America, did you know this? The third most common language spoke in America is sign language. There's only one minute, only one group that's ministering to the deaf, the Mormons. Nobody else is. It's the third most language spoke, and it's only one group is ministering to them. And so there's a Christian going, hey, these deaf people need to know about Christ. They need to be ministered to. And, and so that's his ministry. He's just sort of telling everybody, you're in sin if you're not helping the poor or helping the deaf. You're not... You're not learning sign language. You're not hearing from God, you see. And, and, and so he's beating this drum as loud as he can, as obnoxious as he can. And some people are just saying, oh, yeah, sure, we should minister everybody who can. Sure, deaf too. But after a while, it's like, okay, what are you trying to... Oh, oh yeah, you're right, you know. He will eventually get across to a large sect of people the importance of that ministry. But again, that's because he's proclaiming it. That's because... Now, to a lot of other people, he's just an irritant. And they get his newsletter. Oh, man, oh, throw that thing in the trash. Oh, no, not that person. Oh, I don't want to hear that person speak again. Or, Did you hear so-and-so? Oh, don't even tell me, you see. Now, we in the body, we understand the prophets because the Bible tells us to understand the prophets. There's many members, and they're all differing. And so we got to understand that those differing ministries are different. Now, why are they different to us? Because they're not comfortable to us. And they stretch us, and they pull us, and they cause us, you see, to be stretched. And we don't like that. We like to stay in our nice little comfortable world. So we could say, man, don't listen to that guy. He's too extreme. But we've got to come back going, no, that's just his gifting. In the same way, we see another one. Those ministering, it says, um, or ministry, let us use in our ministering. The word there for ministry is the word uh, often translated as servant. And so you have those people who indeed are servants. They just, they see some trash, they just need to pick it up. They see some flowers that have died, they just go get a shovel and dig them up and plant some new ones. They see something needs to be painted, they paint it. Now, all of us, in some way, need to be a prophet. 
We all need to be proclaiming the word of God. We all need that portion to us. Christ had every single ministry in effect. Christ proclaimed. There in Matthew 24, he proclaimed and said, not one stone will be left upon another. He proclaimed to the Pharisees, your whitewashed tombs with dead men's bones in it. He, he was a prophet and ticked the people off. They wanted to kill him. He also was a servant. He fed the thousands. He went to Zacchaeus' home and nobody else would eat with him and he ate with him and brought salvation to his home. And so we see Christ was a servant. And so we all need in some degree, we all need to be serving. If we can walk through the parking lot and see a piece of paper and not pick it up, I mean, if you've got a baby in your arms or something, I, you know, you're not going to do it. But in most situations, if you can walk past the piece of paper here at church or in your home, something's wrong. You're not a servant. In some degree, you should have. Now, some people are just supernaturally anointed with the gift of serving. And that's what we're talking about, that gift, that ministry of serving. And they can come down and work at the church or go over to somebody's house and work several days in a row at menial tasks and they're just helping out, being that servant, and it's no burden on them. It's just, they just have total joy. They have total freedom. They just do it and it's, it's no burden at all. Now, if a guy who doesn't have that ministry, he can go over and help a few hours, but then he's like going, man, this is really starting to get a, to be a bummer. He's just not supernaturally given to that. That doesn't mean he shouldn't have gone over, at least for a few hours, he should have. But to that person who has that gift, you see, it's not, it's not a burden. They can do it and 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 do it. And they never get tired. They get more strength. As a matter of fact, the longer they do it, the more strength they get in it. And then it says also, let us use our ministry. And then he who teaches in his teaching. And again, that's just the verse by verse teaching. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. Just teaching through the Bible, precepts, doctrines, helping people to, to understand. Now, for some of you, you've tried to teach a home Bible study, or maybe you taught one time a week a home Bible study or something, and it was just like, man, I know the Lord wanted me to do it, but man, I couldn't imagine doing this more than once a week. I mean, it's just so hard and so difficult, so draining. It takes so much from you. Well, I'm glad you're doing that. You're probably a minister. You're a servant. You're serving. And one of the ways you're serving is by teaching. But you don't have that particular gift. But you're still doing it. We all should be teaching to some degree. Teaching our kids the Word of God. Teaching our neighbor's kids the Word of God. Teaching our nephews or our grandkids the Word of God. Teaching our friends at work about what the Bible says about a particular subject. I, this week, was getting my septic tank drained. And the, and the guy began to give me a pointer saying, what you do is you take your washing machine and just run it out into the ditch. And I said, well, isn't that illegal? Yeah, but everybody does it. And I said, yeah, the people before me did that. And I changed it because I found out it was illegal. But it'll just fill up your septic tank. I said, well, I'll clean it out. That'll cost you more money. That's the law. The law costs me more money. The law costs me more money. Well, I don't understand. I said, well, it's in Romans chapter 13. <laughs> and there I basically, for about 15 minutes, just went through Romans chapter 13, explaining to him the principles of authority and that God's given him to us to protect us. And 
He's like, hmm, okay, you know. That's what I am. I'm a teacher. But we should all teach at some point in time, you see. And then my neighbor came over and told me the same thing, and I taught him Romans 13. <clears throat> it was interesting because my neighbor mentioned to me, he goes, all this water is drained all year round in this ditch, and my leach field is right next to it, and so it's keeping my leach field constantly damp, and so the water from my house is not soaking into the ground because the water's already damp. And I said, why do you think it's wet year-round? He goes, because everybody's draining their washer. Oh. <laughs> I said, yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? God's, God's rules work. Even when it doesn't seem like they work, they work. And if everybody obeyed the law instead of doing what they weren't supposed to do, you wouldn't have a problem with your leach field. But you can't complain because you're doing, you're breaking the law too. So there you got it. There's one reason the law might have been made for that very reason right there. But again, uh, teaching. I'm teaching you. And then he who exhorts. The word there to exhort is again to proclaim. I love that verse over in Romans chapter 10 verse 25. It says provoking one another, irritating one another to love and good works. And that's often the exhorter. It's comforting because it's healing because it's the truth. And we know it's true. But the exhorter basically says, we've got to act. We've got to act now. And I'm talking about the subject. And I'm not going to let you leave until you have a plan of action. What is your plan of action? And so, therefore, they make them ache. They're provoked. They get angry. They're, I've got to change. I've got to do. How am I going to? And there they have to have this vision, you see, to get it done. And then if you don't get it done, they come back and they do it again. Oh, man, do it again and do it again. The exhorter is a persistent person until you act and do what you've been taught. And so we need them all. We need the proclaimer saying, Thus saith the Lord, it's going to happen this way. If we don't change, this is what's going to happen. Or this is going to happen if we continue. Don't worry in well-doing. You are going to reap if you faint not. And so that person's helping us to see the future and to see the vision and, and encourage you towards making the right choices today for the future. That's great. Then you need the teacher just plugging away, saying, you know, here's the nuts and bolts of it. Here's how it all works. Here's how it all works together. And then you have the exhorter saying, okay, you heard the prophet, you heard the teacher, now you're going to do it, you see. And they have that gifting. And when you hear them talk, you're compelled to just want to go out and do it. So the prophet says, let's go proclaim the word. God said we're to go into the world and prophesy and proclaim that gospel, you see, to all the unsaved. The teacher teaches Yes, if we share the Word of God, and here's how you share the Word of God, and when you share the Word of God, the way God's Word says to share it, people will get saved. And the exhorter comes out and says, we're going tomorrow. Everybody be there at 7 o'clock, you see. Here's how, you know, they've given you the skeleton, I'm going to give you the, the meat on those bones. we got to do it. And that's probably one of my primary gifts, outside of teaching, is exhorting. Basically to say, we've got to do it, whether it's loving your wife as Christ loved the church or submitting to your husband or, or whatever the principle is. We've got to do it. And the exhortation usually is, again, it's constant. 
It's just, it doesn't let up week after week, week after week. The same exhortation, the same encouragement until we finally get it and we finally do it and we start acting on it. And then the blessings begin to come because we're acting on it. So we need each and every person in their various giftings to gift us, to get us in that place we need to be. The prophet sort of scares us, shakes us up, gets us looking towards the future. The teacher calms us down and helps us just to keep going through. And the exhorter, again, stirs us up to action. And then it says, He who gives with liberality. And that's that person who has the gift of making money and giving money. John Wesley said that every person should make as much as they can and give as much as they can. But there's those people that God seems to entrust to them finances. God's not giving it to you to heap it upon yourself. I was talking to a, a brother just a few months back, and he had a boxing business, making boxes for different companies to ship stuff around. And it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And he was trying to, he had the millionaire in his heart, you know, I'm going to be a millionaire. And finally, the business pretty well collapsed. And on Friday, they had decided, that's it. We're going to, Monday, I'm going to start the, foreclosing procedures and just have to shut down the company. And that weekend, he really came to terms in his own heart, saying, God, why am I doing what I'm doing? It's not to your glory. The Lord showed him. And he said, if whatever I'm doing from now on, if I'm selling shoes or I'm plumbing or whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it to your glory. He walked in Monday morning, the biggest account he's ever had. The business began to boom. He's a multimillionaire now. And I had no idea when I was talking to him, and we were he was talking about giving and the, and the attitude of giving and so forth. And, and, he, and he basically said, that's what I feel the Lord has for me, to give as much as I can. And he goes, as a matter of fact, it was interesting because we live in not a very nice house and not a very nice area. And um, I've seen my other friends in business, and they're buying in the nicer areas and driving the nicer cars and living higher on the hog. But me and my wife had talked about it, and it's just not right. And she said the other day, I need more room. And so I just went in and threw a bunch of stuff away, and then I said, there you go. you got more room now. <laughs> she says, you know, I want a nicer house. So he went and remodeled the kitchen. He goes, this is it. We're not, we're not moving up. Next step is heaven. We're going to have every penny we have to give to ministries. That's what we're going to do. And so he's made that choice. And now his other Christian buddies are looking and a bit ashamed. Because God's called them also to that gift of giving. And, and they're using some of the Lord's money to live high in the hog. Now, I'm not saying that people can't live as millionaires if that's what the Lord's calling them to do. God makes the rich. God makes the poor. I'm not going to judge them either way. But there are those people that God's given that gift. Now, all of us need to be giving to some degree. Just like we all need to be teaching, we all need to be prophesying, we all need to be exhorting, we all in some degree need to be giving. The Bible's pretty clear on that 10%. That first is the Lord. There's that sacred act of that when you get that check or you get some money, however you, you get it in. I was talking to a brother this week and he goes, it's interesting. I was looking back over my finances this year. And he goes, I, don't, I didn't have a good job. I didn't make much money this year. 
But 90% of the money that came in did not come in from my job. All these other doors, one after the next, supernaturally came in. God in his own way provided. God will always provide for you. But again, as you increase, however God causes you to increase, that top 10% is the Lord. And then above that of an offering, you can't outgive God. And, and there's so many stories I've heard. So many people come up and say, it's so true. You cannot outgive God. You give, it's given. I don't understand it. I do not understand how you can give and you get more back. I do not understand it, but it works. God will multiply it back into you. And it's a step of faith. It's not an easy thing. But once you take that step and begin, continue, that what you sow is what you're going to reap. And uh, as Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 9, the one who sows, however you sow, you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. You sow abundantly, you're going to reap abundantly. To the degree you sow, it's going to be given back unto you. So many, many stories about that. And then he who leads, do it with Diligence, or the word there literally in the Greek is speed. So if you are a, a leader, do it. Get out in front and do it. There is no, um, it's, it's not the time to be humble. It's the time to jump up and, and grab a hold of things and move forward with it. I'll talk to home fellowship leaders from time to time and they'll have people in their home fellowship that are going, man, this guy's smarter than me. This guy knows more about the Bible than me. Everybody's more spiritual than I am. Why am I the home fellowship leader? Well, God called you. Well, I think I'm going to let somebody else teach for a while. I said, no, you teach. God's raised you up. But they know more. They're more spiritual. They're all bored with it. I, I don't care. God's raised you up. Lead. Get out in front and just do it. You'll find that God is using you. If you don't feel like it, that's when God's using you the most. When you feel like you're doing good, that's when you're not doing so good. I, I've always found that. Without fail, I'll, I'll preach on a Sunday and come home and say, Cheryl, what do you think? Uh, I didn't really understand what you were saying. and It wasn't that good. I'm like, I felt that was one of the best sermons I ever preached. And then another Sunday I'll come going, oh man, I need to quit. I need to not even try again. This is ridiculous it was so bad. And she's going, man, that was one of the best matches you've ever preached. And so I have learned that uh, you can never be your own critic. Uh, the Lord knows. And uh, he often humbles us where we can't see when we are really being effective. And so, again, I, I see that also in the body. People thinking, oh, well, what I do, it's not much. It's no sweat. It's not difficult for me. And it's not that much. I but see, for you, it's not much. For me, it's, oh, man, that would be so difficult. For you, it wasn't stressful or difficult. But for me, oh, man, that's just hard. You know, it's one thing I've seen with plumbers. Oh, anybody can do what I do. Here's what you do. And, yeah, you look at that plumber going, man, I, I, you just did 20 steps that took you 30 years to learn, you know. But in his mind, it's just, wah, wah, wah. You know, the same way I've learned with carpenters, electricians. Anybody can do this, they'll tell you. It's easy for them because that's what they're good at. You take somebody who's a musician. Oh, it's easy to learn, man. It just takes you, it took me just a couple of months. And here's the next guy five years later trying to do what the other guy accomplished in a month. So that's your gifting. Again, so everybody, every single person should be ministering. Everybody should have a ministry. Well, I don't have a ministry. Start. Well, where? Ushering. Sunday school teaching, just, well, I don't know how to teach. Just go be an assistant. 
Well, what's that mean? You stand around and watch. And then, you know, try to keep the crayons out of their noses and, and uh, keep them from marking on the walls and keep Billy from kicking Larry and, you know. And after a while, you, you'll catch on and you'll learn. God will make everybody sick and you're the only one there and ah, you got to teach and you found out you could do it. Um, you just go for it. God, God will, then you'll start directing. God will start directing you on which ministry. But just start serving. Pick up a broom. Start picking up paper. Just do what is in front of you. See where the need is and meet that need and God will begin to show you directly where your gifts are. But it's not until you start ministering do you find out exactly, specifically what your ministry is. And then he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The word there is the word hilarious. The word mercy also is the word comfort or compassion. So there's some people that are called to the orphanage ministry, the convalescent ministry, or going to the hospitals, or making food for somebody who's a shut-in or somebody who's sick. And it's a ministry that you know God's called you to. You can do it. and You know, you love going and meeting that person for the first time you've never seen before, and they're in the hospital, and, and you, don't, you don't mind staying, staying there with them for an hour and reading a book to them and talking to them. But at the same time, it's, it's a rather depressing ministry. You're always visiting the old and the sick and the shut-in and the... And, and the orphans, and it's everybody who's sort of down and out and hurting and, and in hardship. But do it hilariously. In other words, when you start getting depressed and Satan starts jumping on your back and you're all bummed about it and, and nobody knows that you're doing it, you've been doing it for several years, just keep doing it. We have brothers that go to the prison ministry and have been going for years. And nobody even knows it. Nobody pats them on the back. They don't get a penny for it. They've got to drive miles. They, get, they have to spend uh, hundreds, if not probably $1,000 a year out of their own pocket for just on gas and keeping up their cars just to get there and back and forth. And then all of the different supplies and stuff. They provide much of it out of their own pocket. Nobody knows. Nobody hears. Nobody uh, cares. But yet, keep it up. Don't stop. Do it hilariously. So how does it work? Everybody has their own ministry. Everybody does what they're supposed to be doing, and it all works together. So, for example, you have somebody who has that gift of ministry. They're a servant. They're standing back in the back, and as I'm preaching, they're listening, they see that my mouth is dry, and so they say, I know what, I'm going to go get Brian a glass of water. And so they're bringing a glass of water for me to drink so I can keep on teaching. But as they start heading forward, they don't have their shoes tied properly and they come untied and they trip and they fall. Now, the person who has the gift of mercy, the gift of comfort, they jump over and start comforting the person because they feel sorry for them. They know how embarrassed they are. Everybody's watching them and, and they start telling them, you know, I've done the same thing. I, I, matter of fact, and they start comforting them. The prophet jumps in and says, you know, in the future, <laughs> you should have those shoes tighter. You know, if you can't handle that, get those kind of shoes with straps. You're going to kill yourself one of these days. <laughs> the guy with the gift of teaching, he says, you know, you should walk a little slower and take the corners a little more uh, slower and and." And really watch what, you know, and begins to teach him how to, how to do it. 
the person with the gift of giving says, here, let me have the cup. I'll go get a, I'll go get a glass for you. Uh, you clean yourself up. So everybody, you know, jumps in there and everybody individually does their part. Now, the person who's showing mercy says, oh, just prophesy later. You see, we don't, we don't want to get on to the prophets. The prophets are doing what they're supposed to be doing. The same way the prophet doesn't want to say, oh, quit babying him. He needs to grow up and learn to tie his shoes. You know, we don't want to get on to the person with the gift of mercy either. Everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now, we understand that everybody's different. So the guy who has the gift of ministry, the guy who's serving, the guy who has no problem working hours on end, doing whatever in the church, painting or gardening or, or whatever, he needs to not have an attitude of going, why are all those guys out there witnessing, out there preaching the gospel when, they, you know, when our own church has weeds? They should come and pull some weeds and then go out and proclaim the gospel. In the same way, the guys out proclaiming the gospel don't want to go look at the guys pulling weeds going, that's stupid. There's going to be more weeds next week and it's all going to burn once Christ comes. We ought to get more people out here preaching the gospel. No. Every, we, we understand that everybody is different. We all have different ideas of what's important. And it's supposed to be that way. Some people feel it's important to do one ministry and they don't understand why everybody doesn't see it as important. Well, understand, why everybody doesn't see it as important is because that's not their ministry. But you doing your ministry and doing it well makes them think, gee, I'm not doing that at all in my life. I should be doing some of that. And you're right, they should be doing it. Because all of us are to be doing all of these gifts to some degree. So the guy with the gift of giving gives sacrificially, and maybe he doesn't have a lot of money. Matter of fact, you know, we look at our building fund back there, and it's 83000 It's taken us over two years to get there. If everybody would do a little bit, it, in a year it would probably be over 500000 when you count the numbers of people we have and everybody doing But what happens? Somebody... It stayed. It was right around 40000 forever. And somebody put in there a check. I don't know who it was, and I don't know how much it was, but it was for tens of thousands of dollars. And they were not rich people. They were sort of irritated that it stayed so low for so long. And it was sort of basically them saying, hey, people need to give. And they realized, I'm a people, and I need to give. And so they did. And so that makes others, you see, look on going, hmm, well, gee, maybe I should do something. And that's the way it's supposed to work. In the same way, you see that person picking up the trash. That guy, for him, it's no burden. He does it all the time. That's his gifting. But yet everybody else says, I threw that piece of trash there. I shouldn't have done that. But besides that, I should not only not throw it down, I should help pick it up. And that's right, you should have. So as every ligament, you see, we're all tied together. The guy says, hey, are you going into church this Sunday night? No, I'm teaching the kids this Sunday night. When do you teach the kids? Oh, well, I don't. Oh, really? Because I also do it Sunday morning. The reason I'm doing it Sunday morning right now is because they didn't have anybody to do it, and it's really getting tough to do it twice a week. And you're thinking, gee, I, I don't do it at all. So then that person now is provoked, irritated, 
to love and to good works. Turn over, if you would, to Titus. It's right after the book of Timothy and then Titus. In verse 13, it says, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing. Chapter 2, by the way. Titus chapter 2. All of you who have the gift of uh, prophecy knew where I was at. Anyway, Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself, listen, his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things. Exhort and rebuke. You'll often find, even in Timothy, exhorting and rebuking always seem to go together. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject, submissive to the rulers, to the church leaders, and to authorities. To obey, to be ready, listen, for every good work. Look down at verse 8 of chapter 3 of Titus. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to what? Maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Of course, those verses in between there make it clear that it's not hinged upon our salvation. Our works aren't saving us. But again, these are good and profitable for men to do, to keep up the good works. So ask yourself, what is my gift? Everybody has one. Well, I don't know what my gift is. Start serving. Well, how do I know that serving, ministering is my gift? Well, I don't know, but everybody needs to be doing that to some degree. And as you humble yourself, it says, under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt you in due season. So what is that gift? As you just start serving, serving ushering, serving in the parking, serving uh, cleaning up around here, serving with the kids' ministry, serving going to the prison, just being a servant, just to help in the very technical, menial task that everybody has to do. Then as you humble yourself, you see, as that servant, God will lift you up in his due time to that ministry that the Lord has for you to do. Well, whatever that may be, we need to do it. You need to discover what it is. Now, some people say, well, what you do is you find a test and you take a ministry test and they ask you these hundred questions. They say, most likely you're... No, this is spiritual, folks. It can't be found in some psychological evaluation. And, and actually, when I see those testing, it offends me. It offends me because this is spiritual. And people have tried to get me to take those tests and I, it angers me. I say, I'm not going to take your stupid test. What's your spiritual gift? I don't know, but I'm not going to discover it by your test. I'm going to discover it on my knees and crying out to God and just doing whatever's in front of me, serving. In the same way, God will reveal unto you. And see, that's the joy of it. You have a relationship with God and He will reveal to you what those spiritual gifts are. Well, I thought we'd get much farther tonight, but uh, those who have the gift of teaching often teach long, too. That goes with it. So, you out there with the 
the gift of going home. Don't say, hurry up, gift of teacher. <laughs> we got to be patient with one another. Well, Lord, we thank you for this night. And we have great joy and joy and rejoicing. And we ask that all of those who have those gifts would do it, Lord. Those that every one of us would do all of them to a degree. But in particular, Lord, that we would give, we would serve, we would love, we would bless, we would comfort, we would hug, we would just be there for one another. Lord, we ask right now that supernaturally you'd pour your Holy Spirit out upon us as they did in the day of Pentecost, Lord. They did in Acts chapter 4. They'd shake this place, give us boldness, let us teach, let us preach, let us exhort, let us rebuke, let us bless, Lord, let us serve, let us help. Let us truly have your diligence and your heart, your fervency, that we would really love one another. God, help us not to think about our own and our own stuff and our own things. Let us really consider one another. And God, I ask that not just those who have made it here tonight, but all of those who love you and are part of this body here at Calvary Chapel and and all the Baptists and Presbyterian and Lutheran and all the other Christian churches, Pour out your Spirit, Lord, upon us all, God. Baptize us in your Holy Spirit, God. And just cause a great work to be done that we could truly see revival in our hearts as well as in our church. And we would just see that movement sweeping across all of South Bay and then San Diego and as far as you want it to reach, Lord, that we would truly be used of you, mighty men and women of valor. But until that time comes, Lord, let us do that ministry right in front of us at the church, at home, at work. Wherever we're at, Lord, let us love and serve and bless and help. We need you, Lord. Strengthen us in Jesus' precious name we ask. Amen. God bless you. Have a great, great week in the Lord.